Well, that song goes very well with what I'm preaching tonight. Um, it was almost like it was planned, you know. Uh, but if you want to take your Bibles, go to Psalms chapter 73. Psalm 73. Brother Bryce, I don't want to feel like Shaq all service, so I'm going to preach it down here, okay? So, uh, Psalms chapter 73. Um, let's read the first five verses, and then we'll get into it. Here's what it says. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at to the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this night. Lord, I pray you'd... Uh, Lord, I pray that you use this night, Lord, to touch someone here. I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, help us to get into the mind frame that we need to hear from you tonight. I pray you'd help us to get our heart right. And Lord, I pray you'd just help us to uh, really have the desire to learn something from you tonight, Lord. Pray all in your name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to do, um, I'm really not, I'm, I'm going to try not to preach very much, Okay. We're going to do more of a Bible study, uh, you might call it. Um, we'll see how well I do with that, okay? This passage we're going through, you could probably write 10 sermons through this passage. So, I can't get preaching or we'll be here all night, okay? So, the Warriors play at 9, that's my basketball team, so we'll be out before then, okay? I promise. Just joking. I, I'm going I'm to try to keep it brief tonight, but... Tonight we're going to go through <laughs> Psalm 73. Um, anybody know who wrote Psalm 73? It probably says right at the top of that book. Who knows who that was? Asaph. Asaph. Um, for those of you who are not used to me preaching, okay, I preach to teens all the time, and Brother Blake asks lots of questions. Isn't that right, Mason? Okay, so that's what we're going to do tonight, okay? <laughs> So Asaph is the, the, the author of this book. Does anybody know who Asaph was? Anybody at all? No? Asaph is not a very big name in the Bible. Okay, when you're naming your kids, you don't normally think, hmm, Asaph is a good Bible name. Let's do that. You don't really think of him. So who is Asaph and why did he and his writings get put in the Bible? Like, that's pretty cool that he got to be part of God's holy word. So who was he? Okay, Asaph was at the, the temple. He would be like the music leader. Okay, he, he, was, he, um, he was in charge of lots of the choir songs and things like that. Um, we would say maybe he, he was in full-time ministry. Okay, and Asaph writes this book, and it, I'm going to be honest with you, it's a, at the beginning of this book is very sad, nothing good about it. And this is Asaph, he's, he's writing down the thoughts that he had. Not great thoughts, but, but some things that he was thinking, some doubts that he had in his mind that 
He didn't really want to tell anybody about. And we'll get into that. So let, let's start reading it. Psalm 73. We're just going to go verse by verse. Psalm 73, 1 says this. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Okay, so he starts with a statement. Okay, we could say theology. He starts with this idea that God is good. We all agree with that? Yeah, God, God is good. But when he's saying it here, if you look at the context, I almost picture him, okay, talking to himself saying, come on, Asaph, you know this. God's good. I know it doesn't look like it. But come on, you know this. You've been taught this your whole life. God is good. He was raised in the temple. He probably from a young age, because of his position and what he was going to become, from a young age, he was taught God's word. He was taught everything about God. So he knew this. He was taught this. He knew the truth that God is good. But I feel in this first verse, he's trying to convince himself, hey, Asaph, listen, you know this? God is good. Okay? Sometimes what we believe Hmm. doesn't always translate into our faith, though. Does that make sense? I think there's times, just like Asaph in our Christians' lives, we say, you know, I believe, but, okay, God is good, but, okay, I know what I believe. I know that this is what God's Word says, but... Okay, and I think that's, that's what he was saying here. Because you look at the next word, at the next verse, what is the first word? What is it? But. So he says, God is good, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What does that mean? But it's, this, this but shows to me that there was a little confusion in his life. He's a little confused. He's like, listen, I know that God is good, but I don't see it in my life. But where is he? I'm struggling. Why is he not here? Almost like, okay, I know God's good, but am I the exception to the rule? Like, yeah, of course, God is good to Israel. He's good to those who have a clean heart, like it says, but is he good to me? Does he care about me? Does he care about what's going on in my life? He was struggling. He was having a hard time. I don't, it doesn't tell us what he was struggling with. Well, it does a little bit later on. Okay, it does. Maybe not the exact details. But he says, God's good, but there's a confusion. What, what about me? Does God care about my problems? If he was good, and I think oftentimes, and I'll be honest with you, in every Christian's life, I think there'll be moments like this, for sure. I love this passage because it helped me. It's, it's helped me many times. And he says, you know, God is good, so if God's good, why would he allow this to happen to me? I think we all have had moments in our lives like that. And if you haven't, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. You will. So God's good, but 
Why does he not care about me? Why does he not care about what's going on in my life? And then we get into this and we kind of get, get into a little bit more of the problem. And in verse 3 it says this, For I was envious. Is envy a sin? Let's try that again. Is envy a sin? Yes, okay, good. I'm glad you guys know that. Okay, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw their prosperity. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt, they speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth." So he's looking at the wicked now, and he's like, why is their life so good? Right? Did that not say that? Yeah, he's like, why are they so prosperous? They are literally living a wicked life against God's will. God says he's good. God says he will bless those who follow him. God says he'll bless the righteous, and he'll punish the, the, the ones who walk wickedly. And unrighteously, but why does their life look so good? Why do they prosper so much? He was envious. He started looking at them, and honestly, he started having this question in his mind more like, why them? Okay, listen, he gets in this, he says, God is good, but does he care about me? I have, I have been working in the temple. I have just been serving him. I am trying to live a righteous life. And I have nothing. I have these problems God's not taking care of. But look at them. Everything's great. Why them? Verse 4, it says... Uh, it says, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Anybody know what that word bands means? I enjoy, I enjoy reading the Bible, and when there's words I don't know, looking them up. It makes a lot more sense that way. So what does that mean? Anybody, anybody have an idea? Who said pain? I heard somebody say pain. If it wasn't you, just raise your hand, and you'll look smart. Pain. The, his bands, he says, you know what? In their life, these guys, they're walking wickedly. They're not living righteous lives. They don't care about God, and they don't have any pain in their life. Wouldn't that be nice, Jaden? Wouldn't it be nice to not have any problems in life? No pain? Jaden in our youth group always gets hurt. So wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, he's broken his elbow like three times. So I'm like, oh, okay. He puts holes in our walls that we have to fix. Okay, if somebody's hurting something, it's Jaden. Okay? Be nice to live a life. And that's not the kind of pain it's talking about. I get that. I know that. But living, they, he was looking at them saying, man, they have no troubles. There's never any trials in their life. Everything's great. They are, not in the, they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. 
There's no trials in their life. You know what? I believe, you know, I think it's funny that he's saying this back then because I think it's even more of a problem in the world we live in today. And the reason, I believe, is because of social media and YouTube. And, like, we get on and we're like, wow, this guy has gone to Disney World seven times in the last three months. Like, wouldn't that be nice? I'm stuck here. I'm, I, you know, I, I need to be at church, but that would be nice. These YouTubers, they're on a cruise one week, and then they're on a Bahama, Bahama vacation. It's like, man, how do I get their job? And we become, we become so, so self-absorbed, sane, and envious at things, and we say, look at their life. Everything's great. They're rich. They're getting richer, and they're not even living for God. They don't have to do all this stuff. If someone, if people tell you it's easy to live the Christian life, it's not true. Okay? I, I tell the teens all the time, hard things take work. Or, that doesn't make any sense. Like, wow, who's teaching our teens? Good things take work. Does that make more sense? Okay, thank you. Sorry. Whew. Good things take work. You want something nice? Takes work. You want a relationship with God? It takes work. And Asaph here is saying, listen, I am working so hard to live righteous, to have a relationship with God. And I think I'm doing more preaching than Bible study, but sorry. Okay? And look at their lives compared to mine. God says he blessed me, but I don't have the cars they have. I don't get to go to Disney World all the time. I don't get to go on a cruise every other week. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have no more heart than heart could wish. They are corrupt. They're not good people. They're wicked. They live wicked lifestyles. They set their mouth against the heavens. They curse God. They mock God. Yet, they still have all these things. And Asaph was here. He was getting envious. He's really struggling with this. How come? Why can't I? Why them? Why not me? Why can't I have that? He becomes discontent. Let's go to verse 10, okay? We continue on. It says this, Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And there is knowledge in the Most High. And is there knowledge in the Most High? So in verse 10, it, there's an interesting phrase here. It says, The waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. Okay? Anybody have any idea what that means? We're trying to do a Bible study, so that means you guys have to help me out. You can't just let me preach the whole time. What does that mean? Waters of a full cup are wrung out before them. It means that literally in their face, they are seeing, we are seeing, and I think Asaph is speaking for everyone when he should be speaking for himself. But he's saying, in my face, I see people who are living lifestyles that are so great. And it is tempting me. 
Man, their cups are overflowing and it's wrung out before me. It looks good. I want it. And I'm stuck here living a righteous life. I'm stuck going to church. I think, truly, I believe that in Asaph's mind here, he's truly doubting. He's doubting God. God, I know you're good, but look at that. And then it keeps going. Verse 11, it says, How doth God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? Does God even know that I'm struggling? Does God even care? Maybe he just doesn't see it right now. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's focused on Brother Bryce and he's not focusing on me. Because, man, my life is terrible. Does God not see that? Does God not see that I'm struggling, that there are trials and there are hardships in my life? Where are you at? If you cared, you would notice, you would do something about it. Verse 12, it says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So Asaph says, not only do the ungodly prosper, but their, their, their prosperity increases as time goes on. You know the phrase, the rich get richer? Yeah, that's kind of what he's saying here. He's like, man, not only do they get good things, they're great, and everything's great for them, everything continues to get better and greater. No trials, no problems. Everything good is in their life. This is, this is sad. Go to verse 13. It's sad here. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. I've cleansed my, hand, my heart in vain. Man, he is so, he's doubting Christ so much here. He's in such an emotional state that he is literally now saying, what's the point? Why am I living for Christ? This is stupid. I could literally go live like the wicked and look at their lives. It's great. I mean, we look at celebrities on TV. They have every vehicle they want. They have the weirdest clothes. I mean, let's be honest, like, what are you wearing? Okay? They have everything they want. Everything's great. And Asaph here is saying, what's the point? Why live a godly life? I'll be honest with you, there will be moments in every one of our Christians' lives that these doubts will come in our hearts. Why, why, why am I trying so hard to be at church every week? 
why am I trying so hard to read God's word? I mean, I know so-and-so does it, and their life's great. I mean, look at these. Their, their life is so good. And he literally says, you know what? I'm living for God in vain. Verse 14, for all the day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Man, I live for God, and every single day, I have trials. Every single day, God is correcting me. God, don't you notice that, hey, maybe don't correct me. Maybe go correct Brother Bryce. Why am I picking? I don't know. I don't know why I'm picking on Brother Bryce. He's worse than I am. Go talk to him. God, there are literally celebrities on TV living a worldly lifestyle who don't care about you, who are literally cursing you. Go chasing them. I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing good. I'm trying to live for you. Why do I get all the problems? Why do I get all the trials? Why do I get all the chastening? You're laughing, but it's true. There are times in life we think this way. We literally will be like, listen, I am not a bad person. So God, leave me alone on that topic. Go talk to so-and-so. Yeah, envious. Let's go to verse 15. If I say I will speak, thus behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. What is he saying here? What's the idea? What do you mean I thought of this and, you know, I thought, mm, I really can't tell the generation of thy children, can't tell the other Christians how I'm feeling. Why? He was worried it would harm them. It would, be, it, would, it, would, it would cause them to be discontent. Cause them to stumble. Man, there's times in life where we feel so much. Asaph is an emotional wreck. And he says, can't tell anybody. I tell someone, I'm going to hurt their Christian walk. And then he says, you know what? But when I thought to know that this, it was too painful for me. He had two options. Either don't tell anyone because I don't want to hurt anyone else and their faith. Or I have to keep it to myself. And it's unbearable. It's too painful. Eventually it's going to come out. Man, you can see, you can see the emotional wreck he is in his life right here. He's doubting God. Why is everything so great for everyone else? Why do you not care about me? Why did you allow my family member to die? Why did you allow me to have cancer? Why me? I'm living for you. What about them? Give the cancer to the worldly celebrities who don't care about God. Give it to them. Why are you giving it to me? He's an emotional wreck. He doesn't want to tell anyone about it. He keeps it to himself, and he has these secret doubts in his mind. He's, he cannot figure out what he needs to do. 
Verse 17, though, is a turning point in this passage. Pretty, pretty cool moment. Verse 17, this is what it says. Until, okay, so he says all these things for 16 verses. My life's so bad. Everything's so awful. It's rough. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Turning point in the passage. We call it the climax. Here it is. He says he went into the sanctuary and found a new perspective. Maybe we could call it an eternal perspective instead of a worldly perspective. But he found a new perspective, a godly perspective. Where did he go to find this perspective? He says that he went into the sanctuary. What does that mean? Do we have to go find the temple where he was? We have to go there, right? Do we have to go to church? I think, yeah, I think church, you know, is a place that you can come and you can get a new perspective. I think that is true. But here I believe this, this um, sanctuary, the sanctuary of God that he is talking about is, um, is the presence of God. He came into the presence of God through meditating on God's word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit convicting him and talking to him and and. And he comes into the presence of God and gets a new perspective on everything he just talked about. He now understands their end, the wicked's end, the ones who live worldly. Where, what, how is it going to end for them? And we see more about that in verse 18. It says, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears? As a dream when one awakest, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. He gets a new perspective now. He starts seeing things from God's perspective and seeing, okay, in verse 18, he says, they are in slippery places. They are about to experience God's judgment. It's right there. They are living right on the edge. All they got to do is slip off and whew. Verse 19, as it says, as in a moment. This is they are consumed with tears. When they are punished, it's going to be sudden. And everything will be taken from them. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching this so we can say, yeah, look at the world, look at them, and yeah, they're going to get punished. I hope they do. But they will. God promises it. God says, listen, you live a life of worldliness and wickedness and unrighteousness. There's going to be a punishment. And for many, it's going to be a place called hell. Verse 20, 
as a dream when one awakes so. O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. God's going to punish them. It's only a matter of time. Might not be here on earth, but it's going to happen. Now God starts opening Asaph's eyes. Listen, it looks great now. But God's punishment is coming on those who live a life of wickedness. Now in his mind, it's starting to change a little bit. Hold up. Okay, hold up. <laughs> Maybe I don't regret living for God. Maybe it's not waste of time. Maybe it's not all in vain. Verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my, in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. Starts getting a little, he, he starts getting a little humility in his life here. A little humbling from God. He gets to look at what God's infinite wisdom and realizes how little he really knows. Oftentimes, I think I know the answers. I do. I think, I'm, I, think I know what, exactly what we should do, the way we should do something. Sometimes God says, hold up. You can't see everything I see. That's not right. He gets to realize how little he really knows. He says, so foolish was I. Ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. In the world we live in today, he says, I'm as dumb as an ox. He says, I'm dumb as a beast. Starts to realize, okay, I don't know everything. Hold up, God. I, I, my, my walk with you is not in vain. It's not wrong. Okay, Lord, I don't want what they have. They're living a life that is, 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 is waiting to be punished by you. Verse 23, nevertheless, I continually with thee, thou hast holden me by thy right hand, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I, de that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now Asaph says, you know what? He states that God has become his everything. Truly, as Christians, this should be our goal. You know, what, you know what Asaph's problem was? Is he was looking at everybody else and what they had and what he wanted rather than focusing on his life, on being content about staying right with God, about staying away from the wickedness, about staying away from the worldliness. He, he became envious and wanted what he could not have, and now his focus is to be on God, not what others have or get. In, a, in our Christian life, we want to get to that place where we find fulfillment in God alone. We look forward to being with him. 
We look forward to spending time with him. That is our heart's desire. That is our heart's goal. Verse 26. You know, if you get nothing else out of this message, verse 26 is an incredible verse. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He learns a lesson here. You know what? I... (laughs) I am emotional. I feel the doubts. My flesh is going to fail. I am going to doubt God sometimes. I am not the greatest. I, I... Asaph says here, you know what? My flesh, my heart, they fail. Emotion is a great thing. God created it. But it can also be a very hurtful thing in our lives when we allow our emotions to guide us. And he says here, I understand, I will get emotional. My flesh will have moments where it's like, no, don't want to live the Christian walk. It's not worth it. It's stupid. But God is the strength of my heart and the portion forever. He learns, you know what? When I need that strength, when I need that portion, can't come from me comes from being in the presence of God, from being in the sanctuary of God. Last two verses. For lo, they are far from thee. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all my, thy works, not my works, thy works. It's a pretty important word. He uses some pretty foul language here. Being called a whore is not a good thing to be called. <laughs> but here's what he says. He says, for though they are far from thee, they... For though they that are far from thee shall perish. So he kind of goes back and he says, listen, I know those who live worldly and don't live like God, those who are unsaved, those who do not care anything about God, they are going to perish. They are going to be punished. But then he also says, thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Pretty strong language to state this. Anyone who turns from seeking fulfillment in God is a spiritual whore. Exodus 3.23 says what? There shall be no other gods before me. Our fulfillment, our joy comes from Christ, comes from God. And when we start putting other things before him, when we start getting our eyes off of Christ and we start putting our eyes on everything this world has to offer and how great everybody else's life is, and I wish I could have that, this Christian lifestyle is just vain. It's stupid. Why even worry about it? Asaph here says we're committing spiritual whoredom. Verse 28, this is the last one. Asaph has come to the conclusion, what is best in my life is to trust God. 
what is best for me in my life is to draw near to God so that I may declare all thy works. You know, you know what I believe is so incredible about the Bible? I believe that you can read God's word and we can all read this same passage tonight and all leave with different applications in our life. It's the living word of God. Holy Spirit inside of us uses God's words to convict us. So, I mean, I probably have already given tons of applications, okay? I wasn't trying to preach, but I did, I know. But tonight, really, look at this chapter. Look at the overall theme of it. Look at what it's trying to tell you, and God can speak to you through this passage. What is he telling you? Man, this is a passage that is good to keep in your back pocket when times get hard. It is. Life is not always easy. Shocker. God is good. It says it right at the beginning. God is good. He does care. What's best for your life? Asaph comes to the conclusion, you know what? Best thing for my life? Draw an eye to God. Have the desire to walk with him. Be with him. Lord, I thank you for everything you've given to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to take this passage, Lord, and Lord, to meditate on it, to consume it, Lord. And Lord, I pray you'd speak to every one of us, Lord, tonight. I pray that you'd help us to keep this passage. And Lord, I pray all this in your name. Amen.